Well, it's a, a real privilege for me to, uh, to be able to come back uh, to the mission focus. And last year, uh, conference was, uh, was a huge blessing to me. And so I was uh, so looking forward uh, to coming back. And thank you for your warm reception. It feels family here. And uh, it's always uh, a beauty to behold uh, when the conference is over, people don't want to leave, they enjoy fellowship and also uh, talking and, uh, and hugging. And so I probably have received uh, more hugs in a few days than I'd ever experienced in, in the whole year. And so I'm so grateful uh, for the warmth and uh, your, your reception. I want to thank uh, the conference for giving me the opportunity today to be able to share uh, a report and also update uh, the conference on the work that the Lord has, uh, has put us in trust uh, in, in Malawi. So this morning, what um, I'm hoping to do is to, uh, to spend probably 10 minutes uh, or so updating the conference on the work uh, and also probably another 30 minutes uh, in, the, in the Word. Now the theme that is running uh, on my mind uh, this morning as I share and update on the work that the Lord has put us in trust is that of open doors. Paul talks about open, effectual doors. And so we, we believe that God has uh, granted us a great open door in our country. And one of the things that I do believe about the open doors is that these open doors will not always be open. So we must redeem the time and seize the opportunity uh, for God and uh, to be able to utilize and maximize uh, those opportunities uh, for his glory. I'm grateful for my colleagues uh, that made some presentations yesterday, giving us an overview of, of the work uh, in the other side of the pond. Community ministries that passion, uh, community ministries that our church uh, is involved in uh, is producing uh, fruit and we are so excited about the fruit that we can see while we are alive. And so this morning, I won't go back to the things that uh, my colleagues has, uh, have already uh, shared with you uh, yesterday, but I want to uh, use this opportunity to update you on two uh, ministries. Number one, I would, I would like to uh, update you on the Passion Center for Pastors, and also, secondly, I'll update you on our discipleship ministry. Now, from last year, I don't know how, uh, what, what you can remember, but if you may recall from last year's presentation, I say that in terms of the religious lay of the land, Malawi doesn't like lack congregations and churches calling themselves by many names and affiliating with many denominations. But we have discovered 
through much interaction with people that they are precious few true believers. And even where there seem to be believers, there's much doctrinal error. This led to the birth of the Passion Center for Pastors. This is a ministry. God opened the door for us to minister to rural pastors and church leaders in Malawi. These are not from our circles where we believe the very same things, but many individuals uh, that have a diverse uh, belief and we have the opportunity to make an investment and uh, with the hope that we would uh, grant them the things they need to be able to handle the scriptures uh, well. And our desire in, in the ministry, in the Passion Center for Pastors, is that through the ongoing uh, ministry, through the ongoing uh, training that we are providing, is that we would plant reproducing churches. You heard uh, Pastor Mark talking about planting churches, and this is our desire. We, we do accept, we do know how limited we are to go about the entire country and preach the gospel and plant churches. But we do believe that if we invest to the pastors that God has granted us, we will be able to multiply because they take what they have learned and they go and, uh, and, and plant churches in other areas. We are hoping also to, uh, to establish discipleship, uh, disciple-making ministries. We are hoping uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, to ground these pastors and church leaders in, in Bible preaching. Um, we also desire that the churches will be passionate for sound doctrine. And let me thank uh, the pastors from the Living Faith Fellowship that have supported us. Some have gone to help with the training of the pastors, and some have prayed and they continue to pray, and some with their churches have given finances to finance uh, the conferences and also the, the, the ongoing training. In the program, we have 500 pastors and church leaders and this year, in June, we graduated uh, the first uh, contingent uh, of the students, at least 167 pastors and church leaders. These uh, have gone through a three years of ongoing training, and uh, we hope to continue, uh, even after the official three years of training, we hope to continue uh, training them through the conferences that Pastor Mark come and does uh, every year. They, he comes three times a year, so we are hoping to continue um, investing in these pastors. This year in October, we opened two teaching sites uh, that have 80 people uh, going, through, uh, going through the training. God continues to produce an amazing fruit uh, from going through the training with these men uh, and women, new church plants are initiated. He only talked about our church plant, but these other churches, they are also planting uh, churches. We have experienced some church split, not in our church, but from the people that we are training, there have been some church split. 
And as much as we don't celebrate in the church splitting, we do celebrate in the cause of the split, the truth. There are people who are voted into leadership in these churches that do not know the Lord, and yet they take on leadership positions in the church, and also they come and preach. Through the training, we, we, when they come, we don't assume that everyone is a believer. As much as we uh, invite only the leaders and the pastors, but we use every opportunity to preach the gospel that God would uh, save and redeem souls. And from our new, our, our new uh, teaching site, uh, the first week we were there with them, we preached the gospel and six people came to Christ. We are constantly encouraged by the hunger and the thirsting of those that are coming. We have some men, when we teach, we don't finish probably the material, and they are constantly calling us to give them the blanks for them to, uh, to, uh, to fill out and also for them to be able to, uh, to study uh, independently. So that is exciting and also uh, encouraging. Of the people that are coming uh, to the conferences and coming to the training, some of them are coming very far. Some had to leave uh, almost every training session we hold. They had to leave at least 3 a.m. Uh, to be able to come to the training uh, site, uh, and the training starts at 9. And so six hours of cycling uh, their bicycles to come uh, to, the, uh, to the training site. And that excites us just to see the hunger and the thirsting these people have. And so uh, please, if you would be praying, uh, pray that God would continue to use this ministry uh, for the multiplication of churches and that the gospel will be spread across the country. The discipleship ministry. As a church, we desire to model our church just like we come to MBT to learn from. We would like churches to come in Malawi to come and learn from us. Last two years have been years of learning and equipping our people on what discipleship ministry looks like or should look like in the context of our local church. I'd like to thank Pastor Sam, who is committed to help us get, uh, get our discipleship ministry off the ground. This year, we received further training in the philosophy uh, and how to disciple. Pastor Mark Schaefer was part of the team. Um, Lucy uh, and also Sierra uh, were able to come and help us in the work uh, of training uh, the church in discipleship. We have translated the new discipleship lessons uh, that you guys uh, would like to start using, and we have uh, translated into our local language, Chichewa, and uh, we have started using it already. The later part of the year, we have been praying for God to give us faithful men and women who teach others also, and so he gave us some disciples and also some people who counted the cost were identified and our discipleship ministry 
took off on 1st October uh, with 29 people. We are so excited to learn. We are so excited to see what God will do through our discipleship ministry. We are still babies, and we would need to, uh, you need to uphold us in prayer and help us, as God help us, that we uh, would be uh, prepared to go anywhere provided it be forward. Prayer requests, if you and when you uh, think of us, please pray for a wisdom that, wo- uh, that God would, um, that we would find uh, other means uh, to supplement literacy classes so that our dear brothers and sisters who cannot read uh, are able to get discipled. There are so many people who can't, can't read. The literacy levels are very low, and yet when they hear us talking about discipleship and that that this is the ministry of the church, most people want to get discipled, but they are challenged because they cannot read. So uh, last year, we started on uh, training people who can't read, bringing them to church, and also give them some literacy lessons so that they are able to begin to uh, to grow in their literacy so that they can, uh, they can learn uh, to read. But we do know that uh, uh, this effort is slow and uh, we are praying uh, for uh, other means that would help us to supplement uh, these efforts so that we can get uh, these people discipled. We are aware we don't have so much time And so we want to move with speed. Also pray for God to raise up faithful men. You do know how how it is very difficult to find faithful men and faithful women. Please do pray for us that God would raise up faithful men and women who would be committed to disciple others also. Pray that God would continue uh, to raise more disciples. Uh, This is our first cycle, first season, first generation. And uh, we don't have many, but there are some more disciples than we have more disciples. And so please do pray that God continue to raise and grow more men and women so that they can become disciples to those that need to be uh, discipled. In the same vein, also do pray for those who want to be discipled that uh, they, um, they shouldn't be frustrated. They should wait until uh, we grow many, uh, many disciples. Pray for us that we will not be wary in well-doing. Uh, th- this is uh, a big task uh, and uh, the, the devil would always want to throw in spanners into this work, and he has already started it. And so, please be pray that uh, we will be strengthened, and also that we won't be weary uh, in well doing. And uh, please pray for the PCP as well, the pastors that we um, we are ministering to. 
that God would continue to use uh, the tools and to use uh, the, the things that we are teaching them uh, for his glory in their local congregations and also um, churches. And so this is uh, pretty much what I wanted to update the conference from, uh, from last year I was here. Uh, I did present uh, some things to look for uh, this year, and I'm glad to report uh, of the things that God has uh, been able to do uh, over, uh, over the year. All right, so uh, let's turn our Bibles. Now let's turn to our Bibles. Um, to Acts chapter 17. We are here this week, and we are here to talk about missions. And it is exciting uh, for me to be able to hear the things that have been preached on this pulpit, and also to hear the testimonies of how God is working, and how God could use those testimonies to, uh, to, uh, to strengthen and also to encourage uh, others uh, that are gathered here, those that are watching on satellite, in satellite places, uh, to be able to be impassioned uh, for the work of missions. Now this morning, I, I want us to kind of consider uh, the motive behind missions. Uh, I'm, I'm aware that when we come to conferences like this, we talk about missions, we get excited and we get on top of the hill about getting involved in the missions work. However, sometimes the motivation that we have is not the right motivation that God desires for us to get involved or to use that motive to get involved in missions work. Motives are important to God. Sadly, it is possible for us to go into missions, to do that which God wants, but with selfish motives. We want to be able by the time or the end of the mission conference, we want to be able to see people who would raise their hands and say, yes, I want to participate in the work of missions. It is our desire that all of us will be involved and have a greater involvement in the work of missions. We need more people to get involved in the work. But we need to step back and think if our motives are right, if we have the right motives of getting into the mission field. And the text before us, we will find two motivations for missions. These are the things that, that steers Apostle Paul into getting into mission work in the area of Athens. These are the things that 
pushed Paul into action even when the time was not ready for him to begin to do the work in the area of Athens. Things that pushed Paul into action, carrying out the mission in Athens. And I find these motivations in Paul's life timeless truth. I believe that if we would just nail down these two principles, we will be on a good path to do the mission that God has given us. So let's read from verse number 15 of Acts chapter 7, 17 rather, verse, uh, verse 15 to verse 17. Verse 15. And they that conducted Paul brought him into Athens. And receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, while Paul waited for him at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. And so here we find Paul has been chased from Thessalonica. He has been to Berea and now we find him in Athens. And everywhere he goes, there is a riot, there is a revival, or there is both. And his friends have probably sent him ahead, like, bro, you just go ahead, we will find, we will meet you there. We, we have had enough problems. And so Paul is sent and his brothers and his friends are still uh, not there in Athens with him. And Paul is all by himself in Athens. And we see from the text that while he waited for them in Athens, his spirit was steered in him. And we will find that as a result of the steering in his heart, he's pushed into action. He starts to preach the gospel because of the steering that has happened in his life. The sense here is that Paul would have preferred to wait on Timothy and Cyrus to come from Berea before he began his ministry. But when he saw the city, when he saw men and women who are created by God misdirecting their worship, Instead of worshiping the true living God, 
They are misdirecting the worship and begin to worship idols. That's what steered Paul to begin to preach the gospel. He would have waited. But when he saw people worshiping the God that is not God at all, the gods that are not gods at all, Paul is disturbed in his heart. He's, dis he's disturbed in his soul. And the Bible says he was steered in his heart. He was triggered and he was provoked into action. And this leads to our first principle that is timeless that we want to learn from Paul. And this should be the motivation that we should have for getting into the work of missions. Number one, a passion for God's glory. Paul is in Athens. And it is the worshiping of idols that pushed him into action. Our involvement in missions should be a result of our passion for God's glory. He's so concerned because the name of God is being blasphemed. He created people for his own glory. And he sees men and women who are supposed to worship the true God are turning their worship to idols. And that gets him angry. Makes him sick. He can't stand it. He is undone. It makes him sick. And that's what motivates Paul to begin to preach. We know he was going to preach anyways. That's why he's in Athens. But as he sees men and women turning their worship to other gods, that gets him into action right away. Paul is a believer of God. He has tested the Lord and see that the Lord is good. And for him to see temples, for him to see statues, people worshiping idols, worthless idols, make him sick. Friends, and the whole scripture, I don't know of any theme that runs through the scriptures than Christ's kingdom glory. And the zeal that God has for his own name. It's all about the kingdom glory. When you read the Bible from Genesis to Exodus, it's about God. His kingdom glory. That's why 
when Paul sees people and worshiping other gods and the name of God is being blasphemed, it makes him feel sick. Listen to what God has desired of the earth. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 14. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 14. It says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's his desire. Is that the whole earth is filled with his glory. Let's just quickly run through some texts that shows God's zeal for his own glory. Let's just have some fun. We won't be able to see them there. You can just take notes. We're going to run through these texts. Isaiah chapter, chapter 43 and verse 7. It says, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him, watch this, for my glory. I have formed him, yeah, I have made him. Verse number 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. In other words, for my own glory. And I will not remember thy sins. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 3. And said unto me, thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 14. But I wrote for my name sack, for my own glory, that it should not be polluted before the heathen in whom sight I brought them out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light not shine before men that they may see your good works, and watch this, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. John 14 verse 13, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father, watch this, may be glorified in the Son. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, Wherefore, therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. There's probably no any other text that reveals God's passion for his own glory more clearly than Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 9 to verse 11. Hear what it says. For my name's sake, Will I defy mine anger? And for my praise, will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off? Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. 
Again, for my own sake, even for my own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. What this hammers home is, is the centrality of God in all things, including his own passion. He's so passionate about his own self. He's passionate about his own name, his glory. That's why he says, for my own name's sake, I will do it for my own name. That's what God is passionate about. He's passionate about his own name. And Apostle Paul sums up his missionary call and listen to what he says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, by whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations, watch this, for his name. Paul has received the work of a missionary for the glory of God. Everything. He's about his name. Everything is about his own glory. And God is calling you and me to see his passion for his glory and for you to share it, for you to, oh, to do it with him, to make his name and his name alone be glorified. Is this not what Jesus taught us in his prayer? The one that has come to be called the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. He's teaching his disciples a prayer. And he tells them, as you pray, he said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven, watch this, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. He said, as you pray, pray that the name of our God be glorified. And if you look through the prayer, you go down, there are so many things that he would pray for. But the number one thing, he says, the name of God be glorified. We do prayer, and sometimes I'm very concerned that most of our prayers have become so consumed about our own selves, our own jobs, 
how we don't want to lose this job, how I want to get this job, how I want this child, not a baby I want now, a boy. The prayers are so consumed about what I want, my own kingdom, my own glory. Hallowed be thy name. This is what would truly steer and trigger and motivate us into our involvement in a missions work, in missions efforts. This should be the motivation, the glory of God and him alone must be the motivation of our greater involvement. If we are already involved in missions work, what should push us and motivate us should be the glory of God for a greater involvement in missions work. On the flip side, if the glory of God is not the trigger, is not the motive, is not the motivation for missions, they that labor does so in vain. We should be jealous for the glory of his name. Paul looked at these men and women worshiping idols and it pleaks his heart. The name of his God is being blasphemed. These must worship the true and living God, not the gods of this world. Worthless. They that don't have life. If the name of God is being blasphemed, it should make us indignant. It should make us angry. It should sicken us. How I pray for those of us who are gathered in this room and those that are hearing us, that men and women who are able to hear this, boys and girls, will not only say it with their mouth, but that becomes the driving force of everything that we live for. You know, talk is cheap, so they say. It is easy to sing and talk about that God be glorified. But it is very different to live it out in our own lives. Listen, friends. Our obedience to the Great Commission, important as it is, our love for sinners, significant this may be, is not, listen, is not the highest of the missionary motives. Rather, it is our zeal 
for God's glory. Let's conclude this matter. The zeal for God's glory motivates missions. Now, Paul's passions for God's glory develops another passion in Paul's life. And that's the second principle. A passion for souls and compassion for the lost. You see, you, can, you cannot have a passion for souls if the glory of God doesn't burn in your own life. We, we cannot talk about reaching our city. We cannot talk about reaching our, 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 our family if, if, if the zeal of God's name and his glory is not burning. We see how this works. He's passionate about his name, God's name, and that develops his compassion and passion for those that are worshiping idols. And we see this by the message that Paul preaches. Look at verse number 18. Verse number 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and all the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Wow. Other some, he seemeth to be set forth of the strange gods. And listen to the message. Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. This is the summary of the gospel message. Because his heart is so consumed, his life is so consumed with the glory of God that pushes him to look at these lost people with compassion. And immediately that moves him to preach. And the message he's preaching is about Jesus and his resurrection. Man, this is the message that saves a soul. The gospel message. 
It is a message that moves people from worshiping idols to worshiping the true living God. We have people all over. We have people all around us, in our offices, in our homes, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our state, in all our countries, in the continent, all over the world that are lost and dead in their sins. And they are desperately seeking to hear the message that will deliver them out of worshiping idols. And there is none other message that can save the soul than this message of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. They need to hear, they are so desperate to hear the message that would turn them from worshiping idols into worshiping the true living God. This is a message. Paul describes the gospel for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He tells us what the gospel is. On verse number three to verse number four, he says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which ye also are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Listen to verse number three now. For I delivered unto you, First of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel message. This is the message that saves us all. That's the message he preached to them that are worshiping idols. I'm very concerned for those of us that God has graciously granted the ability uh, to handle the scriptures well. My concern is that sometimes when we see lost people, we use what we know to fight them. We pick a bone. We fight with those that are desperately needing to hear the salvation message. And so we talk about things like, how do you baptize your people? Or ours, we baptize them like this. And some hours, we are baptizing them like this. And so we spend time and energies on arguments that helps no one just destroys you as you're growing your own ego. Paul did not come to these men and say, ah, look at what you're, what, what you're worshiping. He comes to them and preach Jesus and his resurrection. First things first. 
The whole world around us is desperately seeking to hear the message of a savior, a deliverer who transfers key people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his his dear son. And we spend all our energies and time arguing. Paul preached Jesus and the resurrection. We need, brethren, to be aggressive for souls. God desires all people of all nations to repent. That's what gives glory back to God himself. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom comes. In our circle, we are so privileged to have known the gospel that saves a soul. Unfortunately, many are keeping this message under wraps. We have the gospel, we know the truth, but we keep it. We hide it. And so people who are desperate to hear the message of the gospel, the message of salvation, cannot hear. Because you have it and you're keeping it. Paul looked for people. He had the message and he looked for people. Look at where he goes. He goes to the synagogue and he goes to the marketplace. Amen. He's looking for people. He goes looking for people. To share Jesus Christ and his resurrection. I know at least in my country, people want and wait until we have, uh, we have a, a, a program to go out and evangelize. They, they just wouldn't do it for them, by themselves. And so they would have someone in their office who is desperately needing to hear the gospel. And so they would look at that person and say, wait, we're having a program. We're going to come to you. And yet they are sitting next to them every day. It shouldn't only end at the people we are connected to. For Paul was not only the Jews. He says, I want all of them. I want the Jews. I want those that are found on the marketplace. I want all of them, every last one of them. I want that person to hear the message that saves a soul. In New Philly, there are many people that need to hear 
in Kansas City, in Lee Summit, in Iola, in Tampa, in Springfield, in Blue Springs, in Ocala. Have I left anyone? Alanda. There may be hundreds who are lost and desperately needs to hear. And you have the message. God has put you in trust. The message of salvation, the message of deliverance, the message of redemption, God has granted and deposited in ethan vessels like you and me. We are not few than the 12 apostles who turned the world upside down. God can use us. We are invited, all of us, to participate in the mission. Let's not hide the message of salvation. It is not enough to feel sorry for those that are lost. Not enough to say a prayer for them. We must be ready to explain the gospel. Can you remember that time you knew not? You read the book of Isaiah. I just couldn't get it. I needed someone to explain it to you, as it were. Remember God in his infinite mercy, sending someone to explain the gospel to us. Do you remember that day where you heard the gospel? You trembled and trusted Christ for your own salvation. There are many people out there who don't know God and needs and desperately needs to hear the gospel message. They are lost and far away from God. Have passion for those souls and compassion for those lost people. It only starts with your passion for what God is passionate about. He's passionate about his name. And as we are growing to develop that passion and shares that passion with him for his own name and his own glory set, that's when God begins to develop in us a, a passion for souls and a compassion for lost people. We must win souls so that we can invest the word of God to the souls of men. So brethren, as I conclude, as we think about this important subject of missions, we need to do something serious. Searching our souls. If we have the right motive. 
We are all excited about our participation in the missions. But let's stay back and search our souls. If our motives are right. This is not to look at your neighbor, but to look at yourself. Because you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not as a church, but as an individual. What motivates you into considering missions? Do you have a passion, a burning passion for God to be glorified? Do you have a passion and compassion for souls? We must be passionate for God's glory. We must have passion for souls. And we must have compassion for people that are lost. Friends, if we would just nail these two things down, you will figure out the rest. And God will be glorified. Amen.